0: This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized
1: reading recommendations. This is episode 122, and we are recording on March 12th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot.
0: It's snowing. Is it? It's actually not snowing here for (laughs) I cannot believe it. Like, I just looked out the window right now, and it's snowing. Like, it's March, whatever. I'm just fine. Everything's fine. I blame it's like Grand 40 Hog degrees outside. I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yep. What are you reading?
1: <laughs> I, my Library of Cold finally came in for The City of Brass by S.A. Chakraborty. And um I The irony, of course, because this is always what happens, is all of my library holds came in, yep. and not only did I have this one on a digital hold, but also a physical hold, so there's a physical copy waiting for me at one library, and then I got my digital version from another library, so... Two of my six books that I'm reading right now are The City of Brass. Yep. (laughs) But I'm really enjoying it so far. It is very, like, intense, detaily world building, which I'm always here for. Um, And the main character is a con artist, which I kind of love. So right now she's, like, enmeshed in some court shenanigans. Um, For those of you who don't know. The book takes place in, it's an alternate history, 18th century Cairo, um, and the main character, Nari, is a, she's a con artist and a thief, and gets by doing, like, little mini magics. She also has some healing powers, and then one day she accidentally summons a djinn warrior, um, like, (laughs) D-J-I-N-N, whoopsie, Um, and then gets dragged into this whole, like, city of the djinn where they've been hiding from humanity, and maybe she's, like, got to do a court thing but I don't want to give away any spoilers so yeah it's fun as I'm, I am enjoying it quite a bit
0: what about you um I have just started what you were getting wrong about Appalachia I never know how to say that and I know that people who are from this region are like super sensitive about how you say is it. I think it's Appalachia right I believe that's right I believe okay. I was told that recently so the book is called what you were getting wrong about Appalachia not Appalachia including is, the title <laughs> right including how to say it. And, like, I'm from Virginia. I feel like I should know how to say this, but I'm not from the mountains, so whatever. Uh, anyway, it's by Elizabeth Catt, and this is out from Belt Publishing. It came out in February. Um, and the book was written pretty much as, like, a direct response to J.D. Vance's book, Hillbilly Elegy, which is terrible, uh, and tries to, like, explain why the region voted so overwhelmingly for Donald Trump, and he, like, completely ignores racial issues, and it's just... it's It's bad. And her book... Is an answer to that and is like looking more thoroughly at the stereotypes that people have about the region and the ways that we have decided that, you know, these just like poor, racist, backwoods folks are too dumb to know better than to vote for Donald Trump kind of stuff and like these sort of comforting lies that we tell ourselves so we don't have to actually interact with the fact that all of America is Trump country and that most people who voted for Trump are like college educated white people. So. Whatever. Anyway, I'm really enjoying it. She, I, I've just finished the intro um, where she's giving some statistics about, like, the racial and ethnic diversity of the region, which I'm saying on purpose so that I don't have to mispronounce it again. <laughs> um, and it is just a lot more, you know, diverse than I, than I thought. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's good. It's very informative so far. And I appreciate that somebody out there wrote an answer to that terrible Hiboli elegy nonsense because it is just such nonsense. I really feel about it, though? I Amanda? just, it's the worst. And now Ron Howard's making a movie of it because, like, how white can we possibly be? Like, let's just try harder. Anyway, it really gets my goat. So how does the show work, Jen? I will tell you how the
1: show works. This is a recommendation show which means you send us questions about what you should read next or what your book club should read next or what you should gift to your niece or nephew or grandparent or whoever. Um, If you need a book recommendation, we will try to give you one. So you can send us those questions either by email. It's getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can drop them in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site for every episode. If you have asked a question that we've answered a couple times before, we might email you a response. Additionally, if you have a Super short time span in which you need a response, and we're not going to get to it on air. I will email you a response. Um, so please do indicate if it's a time-sensitive question either in the subject line of the email or the very first line of the form. And y'all have not been doing this, so we have missed some things. Mm-hmm. And I, we are doing our best, but if you could put it in the very first line, the exact date that you need, that you are trying to get an answer by, we will do our best. All right, so I am going to read our first question, and then Amanda is going to give our first sponsor, and away we will go. First question is from Anne, who says, "I'm the English department chair at a private school in South Florida. Our summer reading lists have typically included multiple titles from Sherman Alexie, but in this week's department meeting, we reached a swift unilateral decision: we're taking him off the list. We're beginning, we're beginning to explore other indigenous authors who we can, in good conscience, include on our list instead. Louise Erdrich immediately comes to mind, but I worry that her prose will be less accessible to our often reluctant ninth and tenth grade readers. Do you have any recommendations for titles or authors who, like?" Alexi will engage our students. Um, Before we move on from this question, I just want to say quickly that this decision from the teacher is in reference to some uh, Me Too news that has come out regarding Sherman Alexi. You can Google it if you want to. So, yes. Okay, Amanda, who's our first sponsor?
0: Okay, our first sponsor is. Penguin Random House, their short story collections, just all of them, just all the short story collections in the whole world. Um, so they have some of the, like, buzziest, legitimately the buzziest short story collections coming out in 2018. So, and Random House has a really great history of working on excellent short story collections. So, like, from Curtis Sittenfeld's You Think It, I'll Say It, which was her first collection, to Den- National Book Award winner Dennis Johnson's The Largest of the Sea Maiden, which was published post posthumously, humusly posthumously posthumously thank you one day i will know how to say (laughs) words out loud with my mouth um yeah which was also from random house so if you really liked uh you know phil k's redeployment if that was a book that really got you then will macken's debut short story collection bring out the dog is for you it'll transport you right to the front lines it's outstanding prose george saunders called it near miraculous which is you know coming from george saunders who is the short story writer i i think like if we had a hat to put on him that would be the hat um, Carmen Maria Machado had really nice things to say about all the names they used for God, which Liberty also loved. That's by Anjali Shastadeva, um, which is a short story collection that Machado says completing one story is like having lived an entire life and then being born breathless into another, which is some stinking high praise. So all of these are available in the springtime uh, from Random House, wherever books are sold, so go check those out. And thank you for sponsoring the show. Okay, um... Much respect to this teacher. That's that's it's like a difficult thing to deal with. Um, Sherman Alexi, all that stuff that's going on. But yeah, you can you can obviously Google what's happened. Um, but I my first reaction to this was to recommend Heartberries, and then I realized that this is for ninth graders, so I scratched that one off. But grown ups who are not ninth graders should go read Heartberries. Um, it's real rough though, so not so much with the children. I am recommending Mongrels by Stephen Graham Jones for this question, which is a uh, like. It, I don't know if you would classify it as YA. It's um, about a teen boy, so I think that's really the only you know requirement for being YA is that it's about a young adult. Um, but it wasn't really really marketed that way, um, so I don't think that any of your kids will have heard of it or will have read it already. It's about a young boy who is born an outsider. He his family exists on kind of the um, margins of society. They're poor. A lot of them get in trouble with the law quite frequently. They're mixed race. Um, and then the boy, his uncle runs into more trouble with the police and they have to go on the run. So he gets into the car with his aunt and his uncle and they go off, um, and flee the, the law basically. And they, they spend the next 10 years doing that. They go across the South trying to stay one step ahead of the cops getting, um, you know, under the table jobs, just trying to survive. Um, and the other thing that's happening here is that they're all werewolves (laughs) and the main character doesn't know if he's ever going to come into his werewolfness. Like a lot of the book is him kind of sitting around waiting, uh, to turn basically, uh, which usually happens when kids in this family hit about puberty, but he has hit and passed that and it hasn't happened. So he is really worried that he's never going to. Um, kind of come into his family legacy, and so then he doesn't fit in really anywhere. Like, he doesn't fit in with white people. He doesn't fit in in his school. Uh, he doesn't fit in with people who, you know, don't break the law on a regular basis. But then he also doesn't fit in with his family because they all have this thing that he doesn't have. Um, so there's a lot going on. Like, you're following both this this family's, like, ramshackle existence and their struggle to stay afloat and to survive and to keep each other together and support each other, um, but also <laughs> the, the werewolves. Like, you will find out the most bizarre stuff about werewolf mythology. Like, Stephen Graham Jones has written such an interesting werewolf book. Like, the reason why werewolves should really never, ever, ever wear pantyhose. Like, why they're not allowed to eat french fries. There are so many rules that govern their lives that you never would have thought of. But then you're like, right. Oh, wait, no, yeah, that makes sense. Like, you can't, you shouldn't wear pantyhose if you're going to shapeshift. Like, that could be a terrible terrible decision um so i think that you know i have pitched this book to a lot of high school students in a lot of high school classes that i've like guest sp- spoken in and they've all responded really well to it and like emailed me later about how much they liked it so i think this would be a good fit so that's mongrels by stephen grim jones I picked
1: If I Ever Get Out of Here by Eric Gansworth for a couple reasons. Um, it takes place in a school. It is marketed by YA, the publisher's Arthur A. Levine Books, and um, and it is Own Voices, which also asked for. Uh, he is an enrolled citizen of the Onondaga Nation, and he grew up in the Tuscarora Nation. Um, and this book takes place on a Tuscarora Indian reservation in the 1970s, actually, throwback, um, and The main character, Lewis Blake, is a very smart kid, um, and he is going to a school that has both white and Indian kids in it, but because of various systemic reasons, um, he is in the smart kid classes, which are primarily white. Uh, So he is pretty isolated at school. And then when he's back on the reservation, he has like one or two friends and you know his family, but he's not a super social kid. Um, and there's an army base near the school, and a new kid comes into town whose father is um, stationed on the base. His name is George. It's a white kid makes friends almost immediately with Lewis, which Lewis is kind of like whoa, <laughs> somebody <laughs> wants to be my friend. Like, he's so excited. I'm just like, oh, Lewis, you're breaking my heart. Um, and they're bonding over, like, the Beatles and Paul McCartney and Wings. Um, But one of the reasons I picked this book is that Lewis's family is very poor. Um, They have, like, no insulation in their house, and they don't have a working car, and his mom works a billion jobs. And, um, you know, his uncle, who I think, if I remember correctly, is a vet- veteran, is, like, just living with them. And, you know, it's, it's just really... It's very matter-of-fact to Lewis. Like, it's not, like, this is just his reality. But he also knows that he, like, it's not the easiest thing to share with people. And so his friendship with George is complicated by these class issues. Um, There's also issues of bullying in the school and a bunch of other stuff. Um, But it felt, as I'm reading it, I'm not quite done yet, but as I'm reading it, it felt so... Accessible. You mentioned you had reluctant readers, and the language is really very accessible, very, like, teenage, first-person, sort of, t- kind of like you would write down in your diary. Um, or is it third-person? Boy, this is a sign of how into this book I am that I cannot remember the person yeah. <laughs> POV that it's written in. Anyway, uh, but you really get pulled into this, like, you can see what Lewis's brain is doing, without it being, like, overblown or, you know, kind of g- grown upy in the way that he's having his feelings. Like, his feelings feel very teenager to me, um, but also very... Cleanly written about, and uh, I'm just really loving the rhythm of it. It's like a, it's like a quiet sort of gem. Um, really beautiful portrayals of like how hard it is to figure out how to make friends when you're, you know, going between two worlds, and the prejudices on both sides, and then of course the inherent racism that he has to deal with. I, I'm really, I'm really digging it. So that's if I ever get out of here by Eric Gansworth. And then I'm also gonna leave for you a link to a post on the site YA and Terabang that put together an Own Voices Native American authors list that includes a ton of great authors, including a bunch of um, women uh, who write for like other than Louise Erdrich, <laughs> which um, we haven't talked about here, but they do a great job of, of uh, including those there. So that will be in the show notes for you.
0: Okay, question two is from Megan, who says, I'm traveling to Key West in April and would love to read a fiction book set in that area. I'm not too picky about the time frame when the book is set, but preferably the 40s or later. Um, okay, so I my book takes place in 1935, so I, like, missed you by five years, but it's I feel like it's close enough and it's very entertaining so I picked Hemingway's Girl by Erica Robuck. I don't know that you can be a bookish person going to Key West without getting a little bit into the Hemingway stuff um so that's why I went with this one and this is about a girl named Mariel who was 19 and she is the daughter of a fisherman who is American and her mother is Cuban and her father has died and she's really struggling to help support her family and her two sisters and her mom um so she's taken a couple jobs she works at a bar uh, where she takes a bet on a boxing match and in doing so attracts the attention of both Ernest Hemingway himself, the writer, and also Gavin Murray, who is a World War I vet who lives in the area and is helping to build the overseas highway through Key West. Um, So Hemingway hires Mariella as a maid to uh, his second wife, Pauline, who he left Hadley for um, and was living with in Key West. And so she enters this world of like, you know, celebrities and tons of alcohol, all of course. And these uh, excursions off of the island where Hemingway starts paying more and more attention to her and where Pauline, his wife, becomes more and more um, like, you know, petulant and jealous and upset about it essentially. And she, is dealing with that, dealing with Hemingway's attentions while at the same time developing a relationship with Gavin, who is the, uh, the world war one vet. Um, so she's got both of these dudes in her life. And at the same time that all of that is happening, this big hurricane, which happened in 1935 is like bearing down on Key West. And she has to figure out, um, you know how she's going to like protect herself and her family. So it's such an interesting book because Hemingway, you know, I mean, like it's hard to think of a, a writer more like worshiped in the American canon. Um, than Ernest Hemingway, he's like, you know, the man's man and all this kind of thing. But you put a really pretty 19 year old girl with no agency in his house and it becomes obvious how like kind of squiggy he must have been. And we all, you know, I mean, you don't not must have been. You can read any sort of Wikipedia bi- biographical information about him and realize that he was pretty squicky. Um But like watching this character deal with that and also try to make a life for herself um Because she doesn't entirely hate it, you know, like he's a charming, larger than life, super famous, rich man paying her all this attention. Uh, And Key West is, of course, a big like character in and of itself uh, in the book. So that's Hemingway's Girl by Erica Roebuck.
1: I it's funny we accidentally not surprised though with the nineteen forties direction. <laughs> um, picked books set right around the same time. Mine is also sort of late thirties, right around the time of the Okeechobee hurricane. Um, and it is their eyes were watching God by Zora Neale Hurston. It moves sort of through some time, so like start like. 20s 30s 40s um it spans uh, this woman's life her name is Janie Crawford um and she is black and she is sitting on her porch telling the story of her life to her best friend uh Phoebe and so and her life has sort of been divided up between these three very different men so um she sort of got married off by her grandmother um and to a man named Logan Killicks, uh, when she was very young. And the reason her grandmother did this is because her, the women in her family, have a tendency to get pregnant very early, um, often in like non-consensual circumstances. So you know, warnings for that. Um, and uh, and so she's like, well, you know, J- Janie's going to get married to a man for a real marriage, and that'll take care of her. Um, but this guy that she ends up married to is not really that interested in Janie as a person. Like, he just wants her to be his domestic helper, and that's about enough. Um... So she runs off with somebody uh, another guy who takes her to uh, Eatonville Florida and like you know starts a general store and he wants her to be his trophy wife like she she's not supposed to be like a domestic helper she's just supposed to like sit there and look pretty kind of um, and he is abusive and it's not a good situation um, and then he like... Anyway, she, she ends up leaving him and then goes off with this other guy and they go down to the Everglades. And none of this is spoilers because, you know, it's like the story of this woman's life. And really what it's about is not so much the plot points as like her internal journey and like what it was like to be a woman in this time period, what it was like to be a black woman in this time period. Um, and uh, And it's just really atmospheric and very vibrant. Like the imagery is so clear and you feel like you're there with Janie wherever she is. Um, And she travels around central and southern Florida. So you see like a bunch of different locales, um, including the Everglades. And it's, I mean, it's not pleasant obviously to watch her like be in these unhappy marriages, but Hurston writes about it with such Uh, empathy and insight. And you can really see Janie sort of trying to figure out who she is and who she wants to be and what that life looks like. And I really love also the framing of this novel. Like, the fact that she's sitting on her porch telling the story to a friend, like, gives it a really different kind of feel to my mind. So this is sort of a a classic that I was not aware of until very recently. And now every time I get an opportunity to recommend it, I'm like, yo, have you read? (laughs) Have you read Their Eyes Were Watching God yet? Because it's so good. Um, So that's Their Eyes Were Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston. Next question is from Caroline, who says... My husband and I just booked a trip to England and France for two weeks in October. I would like to read some books to familiarize myself with essential information about history and art specifically centered in London and Paris so I can be an educated traveler. Anything goes, travel writing, nonfiction, art books, historical fiction.
0: What you got? I picked Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel Um, which is about Thomas Cromwell. And so it takes place in England in the 1520s and then onward through the life of Thomas Cromwell and Henry VIII. Um, So obviously the book takes, I mean, it takes place in the 1520s. So it's about Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn. I don't know where, I just got like totally confused with my words there. So if you don't know the story of Anne Boleyn and Henry VIII, uh, he was married to Catherine of Aragon, who was from Spain, and they were married for like 20 years, um, and then he wanted to get rid of her and marry Anne. Uh, he wanted to annul his marriage uh, to Catherine so that he could marry her. Uh, the Pope and most of his advisors, most of the king's advisors, you know, didn't want him to do this. There was no way he was going to get legal permission to to do that, so that's why he broke with the Roman Catholic Church and created the Church of England, um, along with, with the help of Thomas Cromwell, who was... Depending on who you ask, either a terrible bully murderer or, like, a brilliant political strategist, maybe both, all of those things. But Hillary's um, portrayal of him is very sympathetic, which was so interesting to read because I had only ever read historical, uh, like, nonfiction about the time period. And it always presented him as, like, murderous and bloodthirsty and, you know ambitious and just kind of the worst. Uh, But it's told from his point of view. And he's such an interesting character because he really, at least in the book, I don't know in real life if he was like this because, you know, it's the year 2018. Uh, But in the book, he is so aware that real power and real authority doesn't have anything to do with Henry necessarily. And the way that he rides Henry's moods and kind of gives him what he wants just to shut him up so that he can have access to the people who have the real power in Europe, which is like money changers and aristocrats who keep, like, landowners, like, wealthy people, basically. He's just kind of using Henry to get into a position to take advantage of those people so that he can steer the country and his own personal life in the way that he wants it to go. And Henry is painted as, like, this very whiny, second son, good-for-nothing kind of guy, um, which is not an uncommon portrayal of him and is probably pretty close to the truth. Uh, but like his interactions with Anne are so interesting and this is part of a trilogy of which only two have been written and the world has been waiting for the third one for like I don't even know five years maybe since since the second one came out Uh, and there is no news about when the third one is going to come out so if you want to read the first two um, before you go I apologize that like the trilogy is not complete so you're not going to get the ending but you know how it ends? I feel like most people know how it ends because history has already happened. If you don't, I'm not going to spoil it because I feel like, I'm like people know that Anne gets beheaded, but I don't know that everybody really knows what happens to Thomas Cromwell, so I'm just going to not say what happens to him. So yeah, <laughs> that's Wolf Hall, uh, the Thomas Cromwell trilogy. It's the first book, and that's by Hilary Mantel. So, Amanda picked a London book, and
1: I picked a Paris book. And it is historical fiction also. we're we're like on a Twinsies thing today, apparently. Um, I picked Queen of the Night by Alexander Che, which I haven't recommended for a good minute. And um, the reason I picked this one is because it gives such a sweeping sense of the history of Paris in a bunch of different contexts. And I thought that was so interesting. And I feel like you could definitely like read this book and then go try to like find some of the places that it talks about. Um, So it is about an opera singer named Lilliat Byrne, uh, who is like, at the opening of the book, she's a legendary soprano. And she like is celebrated at court and, you know, men throw money and jewels in their hearts at her. And she's just like is, ha- you know, she's <clears throat> basically at the pinnacle of her career. And the one thing that she hasn't done is develop an original <laughs> role. <clears throat> Excuse me. And she gets offered one, but this the libretto for the opera seems to be about her past, which she thought was secret. Like, it includes yeah, details I about her down. life that nobody is supposed to know. Lilia Byrne is not her real name. And as far as she knows, nobody should have these details. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, I don't know what's happening to me. And so <laughs> so nobody should have these details. And so the book is both her trying to track down who has given this information to someone to write up and and the, the person you know proposing it to her doesn't seem to know that this is actually about her and then you also get these flashbacks in time to her life in former years and how she got where she got um, and it takes place during the, let's see. It's it's like both slightly before and slightly after Napoleon. Um, so you get a ton. Oh, yeah, the French Third Republic um, right into the La Belle Epoque. So you get a really interesting look at court. She's <laughs> at court for several points during the novel. Um, you also get a look at, like, daily life, you know, for... A, a courtesan, and you get to see the music part develop, and you also, like, there's a certain point at which she's in a circus. Like, it's so sweeping and so epic and so broad-ranging. It really is just it's, it's just, it's just great. It's one of my favorite historical novels. And I feel like I like someday want to go and like have myself a little note of like Liliat Byrne, like saying to somebody here, like I, would, I totally want to go and do that. Um, and so I think that you will get a lot out of it and will enjoy it. And also we'll give you some stuff to look for in Paris. So that's The Queen of the Night by Alexander G. Oh, and I actually did want to do a quick honorable mention for The Dead Avocado by Elaine Dundee, which has been published by NYIRB Classics. It's basically Bridget Jones, but in 1950s Paris. So if that appeals to you, you should pick that up.
0: (laughs) Okay, our next question is from Lindsay, who says, "Um, I really shouldn't ask for more books for my TBR, but I'm wondering what you'd recommend for a lover of romance who has some serious wanderlust. I'm in the process of planning my first trip to Europe, For a year or two from now, I would love a book to transport me there while I wait. I'm not opposed to YA, but I love a good steamy adult scene, too. I adore Outlander and really enjoyed Me Before You. I'm also a big fan of Colleen Hoover's. Any suggestions for general fiction that involves travel would be great as well. Okay, I went straight romance with this one, which is what Outlander is. Don't tell the lady who wrote it because she doesn't like hearing that but whatever um so I picked The Suffragette Scandal by Courtney Milan oh this is the fourth book in the Brother Sinister series but you don't need to have read the other ones as we've said several times about romance series on this podcast you don't need to have read the previous ones to read the ones that come after it it's fine but it's an excellent series so if you do want to start at the first book and work your way up to this one I endorse this message because all of them are great um, but I picked this one because it has a historical bent to it, uh, which Outlander does as well. So I think that it'll uh, appeal to you maybe more than the rest of them, just because it has that angle going on. Um, so you're following a woman named Free. Well, her name is Frederica. Her nickname is Free. And she is the editor of a newspaper. I think it's called the Women's Free Press in the book. Um, and it is a like radical rag for women's rights kind of a thing. And she is fighting for women's suffrage. And she, um, because of this, deals with a lot in her life. She has a lot of death threats. She gets salted. Um, her she gets threats on like her business, like people threaten to burn it down. It is vandalized a couple of times. But her and her employees, who are all women, are like trucking on. Like they're doing the thing. They're fighting the good fight. And then um, an aristocrat who has whose advances she has spurned has decided that he's going to destroy. Like do everything that he can possibly do to destroy. This newspaper, both because he doesn't because he's a misogynist and also because she said no to his advances. And like, how dare she? You know, Um, and so she's doesn't know that this is happening. Like this threat is coming. But his brother does. His name is Edward, uh, the brother who is our hero. And he does not get along with his family. His his uh, he's been abandoned by them. um, His like aristocratic family. They are very much enemies, and he has, in his life, in order to survive, become kind of like a rogue, like he's a forger, and a thief, and a blackmailer, and all of these things, and he decides, when he finds out what his brother is planning to do to this woman, he decides to go to her and help her in order to get revenge on his brother for the stuff that he did to him. So he goes to her with all this information about this guy, they're like, you know, common enemy, um, and tries to blackmail her into, into helping him do this thing immediately, but she's too smart. And so the the thing that I really liked about this one is that like Edward's an aristocrat, but he's not performing that. Like he's not living as an aristocrat in the book and Frederica isn't at all. So like, she's not, this isn't like Dukes and, you know, um, balls and stuff like that. Like there's political stuff happening here. They fall in love in marches basically. Um, And there is no uh, real, Marriage, Like, she's not here for that. Free is not looking to become an aristocrat's wife. She doesn't, once she finds out, like, who he is for real, um, she's not really looking to become anybody's wife because she doesn't want to be property and she doesn't want to give up her rights. So there's a lot of political stuff going on here and a lot of um, interesting historical facts that Courtney Milan weaves into it about the suffrage uh, movement in the UK. So that's the suffragette scandal by Courtney Milan.
1: I also went romance with this and I have a road trip romance for you but it's a Regency <laughs> road trip so it takes place in <laughs> carriage. It's The Rogue Not Taken which is the first for once um, in the Scandal and Scoundrel series by Sarah McLean um, and it is about the youngest of the Talbot sisters who have been scandalizing society um, with their coming out. They are the daughters of, I believe he's like a coal merchant who has, you know, he's nouveau reed and so they have all the money, so they are trying to like be part of high society, but everybody knows that they're not really aristocrats, and it's all very... Um Snide and um and she gets in an altercation at a garden party, um, pushes one of her sister's husbands into a goldfish pond, and then is like, Oh shoot, like I am now a target of, you know, scandal and I have to get out I just am gonna run away. She decides to run away. <laughs> she doesn't she hates high society, she just wants to like not be in the public eye, she just wants life to be quiet. So she's like, Whatever, I'm just gonna leave London and it will be fine. Um, but the carriage that she flees on belongs to the Marquess of Everly, uh, whose name is Kingscote, and he discovers, like, he's on his way to the Scottish border and finds his stowaway end hijinks ensue um and it's very like it's very interesting because she is fighting her reputation like he immediately assumes that she's trying to trick her trick him into getting into marrying her like gonna claim that he ruined her by stowing away in her in his carriage um but she's like i want zero things to do with you if you could just drop me off at the next inn, that would be great um and he's like i can't leave a woman alone and then they have all of these you know push-me-pull-you situations to go from. And Sophie is really sharp. I love her. She's great. Um, And they have... The, the Sarah McLean writes a real steamy romance, so there are definitely uh, adult steaminesses for you in there. Um, and I love this series a whole lot Uh, in part because with this framework of the sisters you really get women sort of, it, not only in relationship to the men in their lives, but also to the other women in their lives, and sometimes that's complicated and hard, as we know all know if we have siblings. Um, but it's also important, and I I really love how this book, how this whole series, in fact, uh, deals with family as well as with love. So that's The Rogue Not Taken by Sarah McLean. Oh, and it's time for our second sponsor, which is us, it's Insiders. Uh, it is, basically, it's Booktopia, and you're invited. Um, what it is, is it's our exclusive content for subscribers, and it includes things like the amazing new release index, which is interactive and is curated by Liberty from all the books. Uh, she keeps track of new releases that look really, really interesting, and you can see them um, as they are coming up, so you can remember to hold them or, or them or whatever it is that you do to get your new books. We also have exclusive podcasts and newsletters for subscribers. There is swag. Um, they're, uh, the highest tier, there's three tiers. You can pick your tier and the highest tier um, is pretty limited. We have a limited number of spots and they fill up but they open up. the new spots open up monthly and if you're a novel level subscriber you get first crack at the epic tier. So you should definitely check it out. We have a lot of fun. It's it, The new release index is essential to my reading life at this point. I don't remember how I lived without it. Um, And you can play with it if you go check it out. So it's bookriot.com slash insiders, and you can find out more. All right. Our next question is from Radhika, who says my request is a fictional book that takes place during world war one. I've been really interested in the era lately and want something that's fairly historically accurate. I recently read the Maisie Dobbs series and wanted something that takes place during the era as opposed to after I recently read overseas. And while that was mainly eye rolling, it made me interested in the era. I'm open to anything and love weightier novels, i.e. the amazing adventures of Cavalier and clay, but I'm also an avid romance reader and of historicals, the longer the better. What you got, Amanda?
0: I picked The Summer Before the War by Helen Simons- Simonson, who wrote Major Pettigrew's Last <laughs> Stand, which I love. Um, and so this takes place in 1914 in a small English town, uh, a coastal town called Rye. And it's about a woman named Beatrice, who has been hired as the new Latin master in the village's school, um, which is A lot, because it's 1914, and she's a woman. And so she shows up in this town a little bit more, you know, uh, progressive and pretty than anyone really thinks a Latin teacher kind of has any right to be. Um, And she herself is too busy. Like, her father has just died. He's left her penniless. She just wants to, like, teach and write and live her life and not be bothered with all of these kind of gossipy, naggy sort of small town concerns Um, At the same time, there's a a guy named Hugh who has come to town. Uh, He's down from his medical, taking a break from his medical studies, and he's visiting his aunt. Her name name is Agatha, who lives in town. Um, Agatha is the one who got Beatrice hired. And Agatha is also married to a man who works in the foreign office. And because of that access she has to what she thinks is kind of insider information she is sure and is saying to everyone who will listen that, you know, all the Balkans saber-rattling talk of violence isn't going to come to anything. So um, the book follows this, like, cast of small-town characters as they fall in love and have relationships and these conflicts um, over things like who should and shouldn't be a Latin master. Uh, And then, you know, the summer comes to an end. And she and Agatha, um, despite the fact that She was really banking on nothing happening, um, is completely disappointed to find out that her little town and the boys who live in it have to go to war. Um, So it's very, like, if this book were lit, it would be lit by, like, golden sunshine. (laughs) Like, I don't know how else to, like, really describe it. It's just everything is a meadow and everything is tea and cakes. And it's just very warming and the things that I love about the Maisie Dobbs series are that it's it's it doesn't shy away from showing the after effects of the violence on the people who had to fight it and this book is really like the opposite bookend of that like if they were a set of bookends this would be the first one because you're seeing these characters the men and the men and women who are are shocked to go to war before they really know what's coming it's almost like heartbreaking and how simple and nice like just nice it is to argue about you know latin conjugations and not have to think about what's coming um but they do so that shadow is all is over the book the whole time um so it's you said you loved historicals i think this would be a really good pick for that so it's the summer before the war by helen simonson I picked The Cartographer of No Man's Land
1: by P.S. Duffy, which is a novel about World War One, but from the like starting point of the main character is Nova Scotia, um, which was not something I had ever read before about World War One before I picked this up. Uh, so what happens is... Um, what happens <laughs> is... there <Wow>. So <laughs> there's a young man named Angus who's... Um, part of, like, he's been brought up to be a pacifist, um, and so is not, like, planning to go and be part of the war. But then his very beloved bl- brother-in-law goes missing at the front in 1916, and so he goes anyway. And he's supposed to have a position as a cartographer in London, from which he can, like, you know, be in an office and research and try to find his brother-in-law, but instead he gets sent directly into battle. Um, and then, at home, his son is is trying to like navigate their home situation, which the town is very divided um, about the war and and about who people who go versus people who don't, and should it be even happening, and all of this stuff. Um, and it's really it's a really sort of. It's, like, one of those very heartbreaking historical novels where it's, like, the people at home and the people at the front, and you get all of the feelings about all of the... The full 360 feelings is what I'm trying to say here. Um, it's rough. It's sad. Um, but it's also really atmospheric and really well done. And the thing that I loved about this book, too, when it first came out, it was a debut um, when I was a bookseller, and it's an it's an older author. Like, the author is, you know, she's, like like a writer about neurosciences and has been you know she's not 20 something she's she's a mature woman and she's tackling a really intense topic and you just don't see that very often as a debut um and so i really also appreciate that uh so that's the cartographer of no man's land by p.s duffy
0: okay question six is from chelsea who is one of our insiders hello chelsea um she says i'm looking for joe hill likes. I think this is a tough question because all of his books seem very different to me. Even Heart-Shaped Box and Nosferatu, which I consider more horror than The Fireman, are completely different types of horror, but I love them both. I've read the horror books that have been mentioned on various podcasts, Fever Dream and Bird Box, but I'd love any other chilling horror recommendations that you have. Okay, you're right. Joe Hill does write a lot of very different uh, kind of horror. Like He seems to dabble in the different subgenres of horror with each book. So I picked a historical horror novel, because I feel like that's one that I I don't think he's really touched on so much, uh, delving much into the past. But it would be a new kind of reading experience for you if uh, Joe Hill is the horror that you are most familiar with. So I picked The Hunger by Alma Katsu. Is this out yet? I actually didn't check. Yes. Okay, it came out six days ago. And this book is hard to get through. It, uh, I trigger warning for, uh, well, it's about the Donner Party. So I feel like I don't really need to tell you what the trigger warning's for. Um, but you follow the Donner Party, which uh, I guess if you don't know, in like the 19th century, it was a party of people who left to uh, take, you know, the tracks west to like go make their paths out west. Um, and they took an experimental route that no one else had, had done before in order to make time because they left later in the season than they really should have. Um, and... Almost all of them died, and very famously, they there, were, there was cannibalism and all of, all of this kind of stuff. Um, so this is about the Donner Party, uh, but you can see that you can like hear me hesitating because I don't like thinking about the book because it's just so disturbing. But you won't be able to stop reading it. So um, you are in Independence, like the starting point of the Western Trails, right before the Donner Party leaves, and. Um, right before the day before they leave one of the boys uh, a child from the the trail the party goes missing um, is found dead in like a really horrific kind of way and that really marks the trip from the beginning and then as they leave terrible things start happening um, and continue to happen their rations run out they start arguing with each other for no reason Um, they start to think that Tamsen Donner who's the wife of the head of the Donner party is probably a witch like it's very claustrophobic despite the fact that they are traveling through some of the most open country that exists. You feel so trapped with these like 90 people as they slowly go nuts and like turn on each other. Um, But the question is, it's not necessarily, you know, if you're trapped in a terrible situation with a bunch of people, are you going to turn on each other? But Alma works a supernatural element into the book. So they start to feel like maybe they're being hunted and they're not necessarily wrong so add that kind of terror into like the more mundane stuff I mean mundane in air quotes of of like you know their oxen freezing to death overnight and now they're trapped and all this kind of stuff so like it's just uh, everything that can go wrong goes wrong and then also maybe they're being hunted by an ancient evil I don't know you don't know you find out gotta find out so that's The Hunger by Amakatsu not for the fate of heart or weak of stomach must Will not be reading that. Nope. <laughs> nope. 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 <laughs> Nobody. Nope. 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 nope.
1: <laughs> um. I. This interesting. Yeah. Joe Hill is definitely dabbles in a lot of different sort of subgenres, and one of the first authors that I thought of when I read this question was Victor LaValle because his books also sort of dabble and while he doesn't usually go as straight up horror as Joe Hill sometimes does um, he definitely writes these eerie and like chilling I think is the right word for a lot of his books Um, and so I picked The Changeling which I think is probably the most obviously sort of horror-ish which is about a guy who is an antiquarian book dealer uh, his name is apollo kagwa and he is like recently married and is a new father um, and is trying to be like the best possible dad because he basically grew up without a father um, and he is a black man so there's a lot of like you know societal stuff around this for him and um and then his wife starts to act strange And things, like, go downhill really, really fast. Like, the most horrifying... One of the most horrifying scenes happens in the first third of the book. Um, And did I mention that this is a trigger warning, harm to children book? I don't think I did. So I'm going to say that right now. Trigger warning, harm to children. Um, And so basically, Emma does something super unthinkable. And everything sort of unravels from there and disappears. And Apollo goes on a search to find her. Um, And that's the part of the book where... And you're like, yeah, maybe a third to halfway through. You somehow are on this like very strange underworld tour of New York City um, with like, you know, secret islands and, you know, surprise like internet things. <laughs> I don't want to give anything away. It's hard to talk about. And then like you you end up in a park in Queens and like it's if you know the the myth of the changeling in folklore, um you will sort of understand the framework of this book. If you don't, maybe go look it up before you start. It won't ruin anything for you and I think it adds a nice dimension. But anyway, this book this book definitely freaked me right out. Um, I mean I have a low freak out meter, but um it definitely like there internet stuff was to the point where i now have tape over all of my cameras on my laptops and t- i do i have a little piece of like washi tape over my over my camera on my laptop and my my tablet because i just cannot um and it's, but it's also, he's doing a lot of societal commentary. Like, he's thinking about what does it mean to be a parent in the digital age and, like, the racism in New York and all just kinds of things like that. But they're woven into the book through the plot. So I thought it was really gripping and also, yeah, it freaked me out a bit. Uh, so that's The Changeling by Victor Laval.
0: Did I tell you about how I met him on accident at BEA? Yes! You texted me. You were like, he's sitting at a booth. Do you want a thing? And I was like, yes, I want a thing. He was just sitting there. Like, he he did a comic, a horror. Now I can't remember the name of it. But he did a a horror comic for Boom Studios. And I was at BEA, which is Book Expo America. It's just a trade show for publishing. And I walked by the booth. I had a meeting with the publisher of Boom. And Victor LaValle was just sitting there at a table, like, talking to no one doing no things and I was like you're Victor Laval," and he looked at me like that is right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you are very awkward and I of course made like a fool of myself but, like I always do with authors but it was something like oh my god it's Victor <laughs> anyway that's my mm-hmm. story It's a good story <laughs>
1: Thank you. (laughs) All right. So let's see. Our last question is from Mariana, who says, recently I had a bookish epiphany and realized that I really liked books about young people trying to make it in NYC. Do you have any recommendations for less well-known books like this or books like this that you enjoyed? Bonus for POC or LGBTQ main characters.
0: What you got? Okay. I took this one to the contributors because I think I could, I was just blanking. Um, and Jessica Woodbury came up with this recommendation for you that I think is really spot on. It's New People, which is by Danzy Senna. And this, the book takes place in the nineties and you're following two, I mean, I mean, I'm saying kids cause I'm in my thirties, but they're like just out of college. Um, people, two adults, they're not adults, they're not kids, they're adults, Uh, Maria and Khalil, who are planning to get married, they live in Brooklyn, in this, like, bohemian kind of neighborhood, um, and they are working, um, kind of, not entry-level jobs, Khalil is, like, writing the kind of dot-com boom, if you remember that from the 90s, he works in that industry, and Maria is writing her, her dissertation, which is about the Jonestown Massacre. Um, side note, they've also landed like starring roles in a documentary about quote unquote new people, um, which are people born in like the sixties and seventies who are blurring boundaries of like race and technology as the year 2000 approaches. So they are both, uh, mixed race, uh, Maria and Khalil. Um, they were like, I don't remember the name, they're crowned like the king and queen of their racially nebulous prom or racially ambiguous prom. Um, and so they are chugging along at life, you know, like they're just trying to make it, like you said, in this kind of, to make it in this town. And then Maria meets another man, a poet who is not mixed race, who she can't stop thinking about um, and doesn't, you know, of course, want to tell Khalil about it. And her, her like fantasy life that she thinks about or creates or makes up with this guy Escalates into something that becomes more and more uncomfortable as you read it. Like she starts to get really fixated, and I don't know that you would use the word obsessed necessarily, but like super fixated. And then as that happens, it dredges up all of these secrets from their past um, and really threatens Maria's like very carefully created life that she's trying to build with um, her boyfriend. But as that, you know, she like starts to have doubts about whether or not she even wants to get married. And uh, the the dissertation she's writing about the Jonestown Massacre weaves its way through the book in a really interesting way too. It's not that long. It's only like 250 pages, but she's doing like a lot and asking a lot of questions about uh, both like adulthood, coming of age, New York City as a as a place where people really like cast all of their hopes onto this town um, into like this really little book. So that's New People by Dan Cena. Senna. I
1: picked a book that you have heard me talk about before, but it's so perfect for this question. It's *Bright Lines* by Thani Nandini Islam, and it is set in Brooklyn and then also Bangladesh. Um, and the family is Bangladeshi, and it's got three women, or well, the, like late teens, early twenties age, um, <laughs> who are yeah trying to figure out like who they are. They're trying to figure out their sexuality, their identities, um, and it is there's also this broader sort of family drama and then neighborhood drama that it's set against. So, um, one of them, Ella was an orphan. And so she has lived with the Salim's, which is her uncle and aunt and their daughter, Charu, um, for, since she was a kid. Um, And she is now coming home from college, and one of Charu's friends, who's named Maya, is, like, asleep in her old bedroom. Um, And Maya is the daughter of an Islamic cleric in the neighborhood, and she has run away from home. Um, So these three young women are all sort of interacting with each other in complicated like sometimes by sibling stuff and sometimes by sexuality stuff ways Um, and then in the meantime the father of the family has been hiding some secrets Um, and so now the marriage is maybe under stress and then also the cleric whose daughter has like run away and hold up with them is like, I want my daughter back. Um, (laughs) And there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, And then at a certain point they go back on a trip to Bangladesh to reconnect with the past and like all of these family secrets have come out and then also some really sad things happen, like get your tissues. Um, But it's a really beautiful book about coming of age in Brooklyn about dealing with race and class and gender gender, and sexuality all in these very, very intersecting ways, and I just loved it. I love, the characters, like, live in my head forever now, Um, and I think it definitely is what you are looking for. So that's Bright Lines by Thani Nandini Islam. And that's our show. Uh, Thank you. I was like, great. Did we finish? (laughs) We did. (laughs) Are we we done? (laughs) Uh, Thank you all so much for listening. Um, Please do leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other folks to find the show, and we love to see your feedback. Thank you to our sponsors. Um, You can find me on social media on Tumblr. It's JenIRL.tumblr.com, and that is Jen with two Ns.
0: I'm mostly on Instagram. It's I'm Amanda Nelson.
1: And we will talk to you next time.